Welcome. Let's review Junior High Week 1, Evening Service 2. We're glad you're here, and I'm Edgar Moser. I'm glad I'm the servant of the Lord that gets to stand before you tonight. This is Shark Week. And for Shark Week, I'm going to review and see what you remember from uh, last night. Key things. God loves us and is committed to us. God wants us to be committed to Him. Pretty simple so far. And God will go to great lengths to save us. Who was the man in the raft last night? This guy right here. Eddie who? Eddie Rickenbacker. And Eddie Rickenbacker was only the leader. How many people did he have with him? Seven. He made the eighth one. And they were on a mission to see General Douglas MacArthur. It was a secret message. That's why when secret mission, that's why when they went down, nobody came looking for them. Nobody even knew they hardly were gone. It's the trouble when you're doing a secret message mission and got a message to deliver. Nobody looks for you. So Eddie Rickenbacker later wrote this in the Max Licato book. I like that. He said private Bartek kept reading that New Testament the other, every day and the seagull landed. He said some woman wrote him and said the true miracle was not that seagull landing on Eddie Rickenbacker's head. And Max Licato was like, wow, how would you know? She said my husband happened to be in that boat. And the miracle wasn't that seagull landing on the head of Captain Rickenbacker. The real, I think, mystery of that day, that night, as the storm clouds me and they would lift and here comes the seagull. She said my husband was in that boat and he was an atheist. And he got tired of hearing that Bible every day read, but it's like, oh, God, if you're there, just show us something. So she said he would later recount when that seagull landed on his head, that was the exact moment that her husband gave his heart to Jesus. And she said that was the real miracle that day. And I thought, wow. So Max even wrote about that in another book. So when God goes to great lengths to send a seagull out, not just to save a crew, but to save a soul. Can you imagine what kind of Savior that is? Imagine Him in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to have to go get that person way out there in the Pacific. Seagull, need you to go. <laughs> seagull going on a mission. That's cool. So God might have sent me being the seagull, and you're Captain Rickenbacker, and I'm not going to land on your head tonight, but maybe the message and the words will sink in. Who knows? So I'll ask you this then. Continue my review about considering God wants to make a commitment to us or a covenant. And a covenant, commitment, it's like a deal. I don't know how you say it. Let's make a deal. Let's shake hands. How do you make a commitment? Yeah, most of us in America shake hands. You know what they did in uh, the book of Ruth? Anybody ever heard of the book of Ruth in the Bible? You don't have to turn to it. They made a deal in there. A guy took off his sandal and gave it to the other person. Okay. A lot of one-shoed people, I guess, back in the day. You know, it's like, let me have your shoe. Oh, see, you've made a couple of deals. Got two souls in your hand. Shake hands. Commitment's just not just a feeling, though. If you do that, somebody says, now you better keep your what? You better keep your promise. You better keep your word, however you say that. You better mean what you say. Commitment's not just a feeling, but it's staying true to your decision, such as this. I'll take care of the puppy, Mom. I promise. I will mow the yard for you, Dad. I'll play my instrument. I will... Read my Bible. Whatever it is, you better keep your word or else you're just a liar. Well, that's cold. I'm just telling you. What if I told Paul, I'll be there. And he shows up and I'm not here this week. 
Well, I don't know where Edgar is. He told me he'd be here. Oh, I had something else to do. Now, he's counting on me being here, so I'll be here. Make a commitment. Commitment means staying loyal to what you said you're going to do. Long after the feeling gone, you're going to do it anyway. See, because the feeling sort of helps me make a commitment, then it's my feeling sort of guide me. Once the feeling goes, let me ask you a question, because I have anybody ever felt unsaved before? Tell the truth. Come on. Yeah, see all the hands up? You're not alone if you say, I, didn't, I thought I was the only one in the world. No, no. Some of us wake up some days and say, I bet you I've missed it. Maybe I'm, am I saved? Wait a minute now. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've called on him. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. He's promised to come into my heart and never leave. He's my Savior. No, I'm saved. I know I am. Yeah. Billy Graham says your feelings are like a weather vane. They just go all over the place. The thing about it is, you've got to go back to what you know for sure. It'd be like waking up in the middle of the night. I wonder if I roll the windows up in the car. See, I've done that before too. Starts raining a little bit. Oh, I bet you. I know. I, and see, I can't sleep. I'm deprived of peace. I can't sleep. I don't have joy until I go, oh, raining. And you hate to put a coat on everything else. So you just run out there, no shoes, no socks. Oh, slip on the back porch. Mm, yeah. You know, get up. No, I wouldn't kick my cats. I wouldn't kick my cats. Oh, kick a neighbor, but I wouldn't kick my cats. So I finally get out there and guess what? Windows were, windows were up anyway. See, I was just, I knew they were up, but see, I let doubt start to, and then it, oh, you know, I'm, that's what the devil does. You're not saved. Yeah, I am. I know I'm saved. Positively, well, that's sort of haughty. No, it's biblical. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you're saved. Not hope, not guess. I don't. You can know it. That's First John chapter five. Feelings wear off, faith stays. Understanding commitment is this: and a covenant is a contract or agreement between two parties. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word berith is translated covenant. That means you. It's derived from a root which means to cut in two. Well, that tells us our Bible story. Cutting with reference to cutting or dividing of animals into two parts. Last night, who was the man that was right there and fell into a deep sleep? And What was his name? Adam did fall into a deep sleep and made Eve, but I'm thinking of another one. Abraham. And Abraham went, animals go forth. And I mean, this is serious business. This is God saying, let's go through the cut animals. Abram goes first, almost in deep sleep now. It's just like, here comes Almighty God next. This is not small stuff. It's like more than a handshake. You feel, yeah, this is this verse. Let me show you in Genesis. And it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This is it. And Abram knew that it was serious, very serious. And if it's a serious commitment, this is what will follow. What good is it, my brothers, if sisters, if somebody says, Oh, I'm a Christian, but you don't show it. Consider this then. Faith without works is dead. I want you to have some works. Not an empty pocket watch with no workings in them, but it's this. I want you to have some works to back up your words. If I walked into a basketball camp, and I've worked basketball camp before, and if I ever told campers, I can dunk a basketball, what's their next words? Do it. If you can do it, let's see it. Well, I just don't want to, yeah, I didn't think you could. See, we do that to people all the time. I worked with a guy 
he could dunk a basketball. He just didn't want to give in to the campers. But they, he said, somebody says, hey, Coach Price, that was the guy I was working with, can you, can you dunk it? He said, "That's no, I didn't think you could. Okay. All the campers went out of the gym one day, and he looked over at me and like nodded, put it on the floor behind his back, and went like this. And I said, why don't you just do that? Because I don't want to perform for them. Because if you go dunk it, what's the next word? Dunk it again. Dunk it with your feet. Dunk it. You know, then it just keeps going and you never stop. And he says, I don't want to start it. But yeah, he could dunk it. But most of the time when people say, I can do this, well, then do it. I can live a life as a Christian. Then do it. Well, I just don't want to. Then I wonder if you are. Make a believer out of the world. Have some works to back up. This morning I showed you a movie. It's called Captured by Grace, Louis Zamperini. You talk about somebody that backed up his words. Now the quiz time. You don't have to necessarily raise your hand, but can you imagine some things? Think back this morning. Okay. Name me some things that you know that Louis Zamperini got saved. Drastically, radically got saved. Do you remember anything he did? Some people didn't see the movie. Hey, they missed out. Sorry. Uh, he didn't have any more nightmares. That's one. Yeah, people tortured him and he forgave them. That's pretty tough to do. Yes, sir. Yeah, he was in trouble all the time with the law growing up, and if it wasn't for his brother getting him into track, but he hadn't got saved yet. Oh, he stopped drinking, stopped smoking. He said, I knew I had to let the cigarettes go. Yes, sir. Uh, that alone, well, he hadn't got saved, but that showed he was softening. Matter of fact, remember what he said? He said, I got, I got up and walked out. You know what the toughest part of a service to set through for somebody if they're not saved is the what? The what? Y'all said what? The invitation. Because they can sit there and hide. Yeah, I, Liz, I, and now we're going to play Just As I Am, and Billy Graham would always, we're going to play a song right now. We're going to play Just As I Am. I want you to pray with me. You know, people have... And he would start that, and people, that's uneasy because you really feel like now I'm ask, being asked for a response, and I don't like that. It makes me feel uneasy. He said, he told his wife, I'm walking out. So he says, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm leaving. He said he got up to go and like, ah, I can't leave. i got to go down and make Christ my Savior. Yes. Amazing. He starts figuring out this book that's weird. I don't know if you've got them all. Let me see. Name Louis Zamperini. Name some ways Louis Zamperini's life changed. He quit drinking and quit smoking. I don't, I'm not saying, well, if I don't quit smoking the very next day, I'm lost. I didn't say that. But if you say, I got saved 30 years ago and I still smoke. Wow. Uh, I still struggle with drinking. Yeah, I'll sleep around, smoke weed, drive cars, kill people. Okay, I don't think you're saved because nothing's changed. I can see you struggling with a little something. You don't struggle with everything. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through. I am going to preach at you for this right here then because Jesus says, I will give you the strength. We are more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors. So if I'm not conquering some sin in my life, it must be my fault that I'm not relying on Him. Because as mercy me sings, greater is what? He who is in you than he who is in the world. So I've got Jesus right here. It's my fault if I don't overcome sin. He says, I'll give you all the strength you can. I'll give you all the resources you need. If I don't take it, that's my fault. He quit smoking. He quit drinking. He quit having nightmares. Y'all named that. He had peace. He said, I never had a nightmare again. He began understanding the Bible. 
this fuddy-duddy weird book that he never could figure out. He said he got out his Bible that out of it. Did you get that? You might have missed that in the movie. He said he pulled out of his footlocker because footlocker had been sent home because he was classified as what? He was dead. I got another video about Louis. I don't know if I can. I might show it this week. Be cool to watch. He actually says it in that movie. He says he started a boys. Uh, ranch to help boys that used to be like him in high school that getting into trouble. He started a ranch. He said he used about $10,000 of it to start that when he got out of the army because they actually sent him money to pay for him being dead. He said, I took the money that they sent me for being dead and started the ranch, and they said that was okay, and he started helping troubled youth. He went back and helped people from his neighborhood. Number four, he had a love for his enemies and forgave them, the people, the very ones that tortured him. He looked up and tried to find the bird, and he never could find him. But you imagine looking at a guy who's hit you in the face with a leather belt and a big old buckle until blood squirted out. He said the first time he looked at the bird, the bird come up and looked at him, he said he looked away, and the bird did what? Hit him in the face for looking away. So the next day he looked at him, he hits me in the face for looking at him. Don't have a lot of choices. By the way, in my other video, if you get to see that, I'll at least tell you this. He said, I'd been trained in Florida for something. It's amazing he put this training to use. When he went down in the water that day, they had taught him how to fight sharks. Weird ways to fight sharks. Um, if you're a shark, here's my first way of fighting the shark. She comes at me. I look you right in the eyes and I don't let go. I'll stare at your eyes. He said he looked right at the eyes of the shark. shark went right at him. And he, Whoa, that didn't work. He said, I thought back to my training in Florida. What was the next thing? Let him see your what? Teeth. That didn't work. He said the sharks kept coming around. By the way, you know why he was fighting the sharks? His two buddies were scared of him. What do you think he was going to make him a pet? So he said, I had to get out of the raft. My two buddies stayed in the raft. I got underneath the water. And so I looked at the shark, and that didn't work. What's the last thing? You might know this. So you know what you're supposed to do? What is it? Hit him in the nose. He said he did that for about, probably, who knows, 10 or 15 minutes. shark would come at him, right in the snout, and the shark's like, Ew! shark swims by, and he's probably going, ooh, just now wet out my pants again. Ooh, here comes, punch him in the nose again. <laughs> and he's punching that shark in the nose. He said the shark would go one way. When I punched, I'd go the other way. We did that for a while, and he said, I got back on board. You say, well, I ought to have been in the raft. You really want to be in a raft? He said, when the Japanese plane flew over it, all of them jumped in the water trying to fight off the sharks, but it's a good thing they didn't stay in the raft. None of them were shot by enemy fire. How many holes were in the raft? 48. You've got almost 50 holes in a raft that you were in, yet no bullet hit you. You've got to be a god, an atheist. If you were an atheist, you got saved that day. Fifty holes in the raft you were in and, and you're still alive? Sharks are swimming at your feet and they don't eat you? By the way, the plane, what was the name of the plane that went down? The Green Hornet, he said it was just like a rattle trap. He went out. Japanese didn't have to bomb it. It was destroyed on its own. Four engines, how many went out? Two engines went out and they crashed out. Nobody even shot at him. He thought, what a crazy... Why'd they give us this place? He called it a lemon. That just means it's a rattle trap. So they crashed out. Oil and blood come up to the surface. He swims through that. And finally makes it to the surface and thinks, God must have revived me. For that, he got out of the war. But he said, God, if you get me out of this, I will serve you. He must have forgot that. So was that a really commitment? No. He got out of the war, went back home, 
became an alcoholic because he said the only way to forget about my past was to drink. Soon um, sort of hated life. His wife wanted to divorce him. I can see why. He woke up one night dreaming he was fighting the bird, trying to choke her. His wife like, you need some help. He was choking his wife, dreaming he was the bird. That was the bird that he was choking. She said, you got to go. He went to a VA hospital. He said, that didn't help. Finally, she said, you evangelist in town. Went down and went the first night, went home mad, angry. Said, all right, I'll go back the next night, but I don't want to hear anything about it. He got saved that night, radically saved. And number five says this. He had a desire to share his faith. All these things, if you've got evidence of being saved, man, that's a ton of them right there. I don't know how many of those you do. You say, well, I've never smoked and drank, so I didn't have to quit. I don't know if I've ever had nightmares. Do you understand the Bible pretty good? Well, maybe that's it. And maybe you do have some of these things. Do you have a love for your enemies? Do you have an opportunity to share? I just think this guy's the real deal. If he's trying to convince me he's saved, he is. I want to convince people we're saved. But now, back to you. Here's tonight's final thought for the review, and then I'll go to the next one. If this is you right now, this is you. And I look at you, and you look, okay, that's good, but what I really want to do is see your face. See, see your face. You might have a pretty face, but I don't know what's inside. I don't have a spiritual x-ray machine. So I'm going to look past your pretty face and go, yeah, that needs to go, that needs to go. See, that's what Jesus really does to us. He might say, Edgar, everybody sees you, and it's cool, it's fine, but I really see that part of you that, don't tell anybody. Let's pretend that nobody knows that. I know it and just keep it to yourself. But I open it up and I see your pretty face. There it is, pretty face. But I hope behind a pretty face is a set of works for Jesus. Or else all you're doing is just putting on a, an air or an act or just pretending to be somebody else. So I hope that it's really like this. Not only is it a pretty face, but it's works in your life. And when I see the outside, that's the real you anyway. You ever heard somebody, they'll give you a compliment. Oh, they're beautiful inside and outside. What do you expect them to say? Oh, they're beautiful but ugly on the inside. I doubt if they're really going to say that. Grandma comes and says, you just die. You're ugly though inside. You know. Or you ugly outside, Grandma. You know, it's like you don't want to do that to people. You ugly and ugly. You know, you don't want to do that to Grandma. Just do it when she walks away. She can't hear you say that anyway. So it's, no. I hope you're beautiful inside and outside. We've got a Bible story to tell you tonight, though. Good review. It sounds like you're paying attention. Tonight's story. It's now time for tonight's lesson. You talk about pretending that you're somebody else. I've got four pretenders tonight. Mm. Four pretenders. You might be one of them. Let's keep going. A king who pretended. Number two, a king who pretended. Number three, an enemy who pretended. And finally, a king who pretended. Why? <laughs> Hang on. A king who pretended to be a soldier. A king who pretended to be crazy. A king who, an enemy who pretended to be a friend. And finally, a king who pretended to become a man. Story number one, take your Bibles and look at kings. Look at kings. Hey, where else would the story of a king be? Second Kings chapter 22. If you don't know where that is, it's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the first five books. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Kings. Yeah, we've just now worked our way over to it. First and Second Kings. If you'd find Second Kings chapter twenty-two, shh. Y'all don't have to talk to find it. That's it's okay. 
Y'all sound like my classes back home. I can say, now, what is your opinion? You know, I, I, why are you talking and asking her your opinion? You know, I never have figured that out. Let me ask my friend how I feel. Okay, that makes no sense. Second Kings. Verse 29. Oh, try first Kings. <laughs> okay, sorry. I got second Kings. Try first Kings chapter 22. See, I was just saying if you had paying attention. No, it's a misprint on my part. I'll take credit. 2 Kings chapter 22. Let me tell you a little bit of 1 Kings chapter 22. Thank you. 1 Kings chapter 22. Before I read you these verses, there was a man named Ahab. Ahab's wife's name was Jezebel. Of the two kingdoms, the first king ever in Israel was, was Saul. <clears throat> Excuse me, Saul, yes. Second king was who? David. King David, yes. Third king was who? No, what? Solomon, wise King Solomon. But now let's go back. So it's Saul, David, Solomon. And then he had trouble in the kingdoms. Two kingdoms parted. You got the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. So in the northern kingdom, you got about 19 kings. Guess what? All of them are rotten. And he's the worst. Southern kingdom, you got, you know, around 20 kings. And only about eight of them are worth counting for. And about five of them are like so so. You only really got two or three really good ones. Like Hezekiah, people. But what I'm saying, this guy's the worst of the worst. So King Ahab's awful. And before he does something, there's a a man, a prophet of God, who he just doesn't like to hear him talk. Micaiah is his name. And let me give you a verse, chapter 22, verse 1. Let me just at least tell you this first part of the story. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. See, there's the two kings. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go fight with me against Ramoth Gilead? So Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Ahab, I am as you are, my people are your people, so yeah, count me in, but let's first seek the counsel of God. So then they went around and found a few prophets and said, shall we go fight the battle? All the prophets said, go! And then finally they said, well, why don't you ask Micaiah, because he's usually really top dog on the prophecy of what's going on. And so they found Micaiah. And you know what Ahab says? I don't want to ask Micaiah, just like you do. If I said, if you wanted to do something, and I was the husband or the dad of your family, and you say, Dad, can I do something? And I say, why don't you go ask your... I don't want to ask Mom because I know what she's going to say. Then I don't guess we better do it then because you're trying to get me into trouble with you. Ahab, why don't you go ask Micaiah? I don't want to ask him because I know what he's going to tell me. Well, let's ask him anyway. Okay, Micaiah, should we go into battle? Micaiah says, sure, go ahead. You're lying, aren't you? Yeah, I'm lying. I knew it. You don't want me to go. He says, no, I don't want you to go. Why do you always spoil everything? Why can't I go to battle? He's like a little brat. Because he says, then go ahead and go to battle. But you'll die when you go to battle. 
Really? Yeah. You'll be dead in four o'clock. You'll be dying. You're gone. You won't come back. How come? It's the word of the Lord. Well, how come all these other prophets said to go? Because Satan has really deluded them. Their mind, they think they're saying truth, but they're not. They're wrong. Trust me. You're the only one. I'm the only one in this crowd that's going to tell you the truth. Don't go. You'll die. Ahab got angry with him. Lock him up while I'm gone. Okay. Micaiah's about like shouting through the bars. You won't come back. And when you don't, he says, if I don't come back, you can be set free. I'll be set free then. You'll die. Ahab's about ready to go into battle then. Told him not to go. Ahab, we're going to go anyway. They don't even have a fight plan. I mean, why even fight this battle? It's almost like sitting around. Hey, you want to do something? Yeah, let's throw rocks at the preacher's car window. I mean, what are you doing? It's not retaliation. It's just looking for trouble. These two guys don't have to go to battle. Why are you going? Well, they go. Chapter 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Listen, I'm going to enter the battle, but I, I'm starting to think about what Micaiah said, and I don't want to be on the front lines. I'm, why don't you go on the front lines? You put roads on, and you go out front, and you be the leader of the army. But I'm not really. I wanted you to be the leader. I'm sorry. You go be the leader. And I'm going to sneak way in the back and pretend like I'm a soldier. Put the armor on. I'm cool in the back. Besides, I'm out of danger. I'll prove that Micaiah wrong. God's word is wrong. It won't come true. It's like people today. There is no hell. Boy, have I got a surprise for you. So Micaiah is going to be right. Ahab sneaks way in the back. King Jehoshaphat's out front. Is he a real leader? No. Well, he's a king, but he's not, he's not a fighter. What's he going to do if he's not a fighter? He's going to squeal like a little girl when it gets tough. So he's on the horse going out front. They're marching to battle. Oh, here comes the enemy. Enemy comes up. The enemy looks at each other. Three or four leaders says, let's go get the leader right there. We kill him. Everybody else will disperse. Yeah, sound like a good plan. They all give high fives. Yeah, yeah. One guy ain't paying attention. You know, it's like, okay, let's go. Yeah. Riding into battle. There he is. Let's go get him. Ah! You know, Jehoshaphat just takes off running. Scared to death. Ah! You know what the leaders say? Whoa, pull up on the stage here. That's not the real leader. He wouldn't be running scared like that. real leader would be sitting there fighting us. The real leader must be somewhere hiding. There's meanwhile back at the ranch, there's a few soldiers back here getting a little antsy. You know how you do. You're in the car driving along. Y'all behave back there. Oh, we will, mine. Cigarette lighter. I smell. What y'all doing? Nothing. I'm lighting my Barbie doll on fire. I just, ah, what are you doing? I'm just, I don't, didn't mean to have any. And, and Susie's hair's burnt off her head. We tried it first before we did the Barbie done. Susie's back there, hair's gone. <laughs> Your mom's like, what have you done? Y'all are like it. You goof off. We, we do stuff that's just stupid sometimes. Sit there with a nail and scratch on top of the TV. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mom. You know. If you don't think people do stuff like that, why, like a teacher, I'll order a textbook and buy, I say, don't write, don't. I feel like just take the pencils and the pens and put them up, please, because I know y'all are going to know we won't mark it. End of the year, marks all through it. Little doodle, I love Jamie at the top of the page, or here's a picture of a squirrel or something at the bottom. It's like, why do you use my textbook as a doodling pad? Because there's nothing to do. So these soldiers in the back, they're sitting back there, nothing to do. 
We're waiting on the leaders to give the high ho sign. And one of them takes an arrow, pulls it out. That's a pretty good bow. You hold it. Yeah. Well, you think if I could pull it back, I could shoot it? Well, don't do that. They haven't given us the signal yet. Well, I don't know. I was. Can I pull it back? I mean, I just. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to see. I, I didn't do it. Give him the bow. You know, that's always a smart thing to do, too. It's like cats walking around half bald. Put the razor in your brother's hand. This soldier goes, I didn't mean to let it go. You think they'll be mad? Air's going through the air. Jehoshaphat's running like a little squealing girl. Ahab's back here like, yeah, fool God that time. He doesn't, ah! Out of nowhere, arrow six right into Ahab's chest. He was hiding from God, wasn't he? Didn't hide too well. Ahab goes, God, how did they shoot me? I'm back in a crowd of light. It'd be like me. I just, just happened to get you just where you're sitting. Mr. Lucky. Oh. He tells his aide, get me out of here. I can't die in front of my soldiers. Yes, sir. He's bleeding, dripping into the chariot as they leave. They get him back home. Makai actually sort of prophesied this. You'll go back home. You'll die at the house. The dogs will lick the blood out of the chariot. Guess what? He went back home. He died, and the dogs licked the blood out of the chariot. Was God right? Pretend to be a soldier. I'll get away from God. You really think so? Look at chapter 22, verse 29. So the king of Israel, Josephat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Josephat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. For the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered him his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except for the king of Israel, like we're only going to get the leader. When the chariot commanders saw Josephat, they thought, hey, there's the king. Surely this is the king of Israel. So he turned to attack him. But when Josephat cried out, the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel. And they stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random. You see that? He's not even aiming at random. And hit the king of Israel between the sections of armor. Talk about a deadly blow. Here's the little male armor, as they call it. It'd be like the stripes on my shirt. You not only have to hit me, but you've got to hit me in a white stripe. He does. Right in between the sections of armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. Yeah, it's fatal. All day long the battle raged. The king was propped up in his chariot trying to face him. Oh, the blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot in the evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army. Every man to his own town, every one to his land. Who's the king who pretended to be crazy? Would you look at 1 Samuel chapter 21? You say, okay, where's Samuel? Just turn to the left of where you are. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Maybe I'll get it right this time. 1 Samuel chapter 21. First Samuel chapter 21. The king is David. David's a mighty warrior, but David's also very smart. He's got to do something to save his own life. Just look at 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 of chapter 21. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him because he's scared this is David. And he asked him, 
Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David had left his army, his fighting men. He's by himself. Sort of like a covert operation. David answered Ahimelech, the priest, Well, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for me and my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Like I'm hungry. Give me some... Give me something to eat. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. The priest answered David, I, I don't have anything. Cupboards are bare. The only bread I have is the bread we use for communion. Wow, can't eat that. David is so hungry, guess what he says? Hand it over, I'm starving. Well, if he eats that communion bread, won't he die? No. Matter of fact, Jesus and his disciples walked through the grain field one time and the disciples started to pluck grain and eat it. And the Pharisee said, you can't do that. And Jesus was like, really? Like, they're hungry. Let them eat. See, the Pharisees are all hung up on a law. The priest is probably thinking, you can't eat this. I think God says certain things. Yeah. It's okay, David. David was going to eat the show bread or the consecrated bread. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us. We have been staying pure. We don't go home. There's nothing. We are set apart for God. Okay, keep reading. Verse 7, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord, and he was Diog the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. And David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or sword in here? I might have to do battle. He says, Well, I haven't, I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was so urgent. I just, it's almost like leaving the house without your cell phone. The priest says, Yeah, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine here. <laughs> that's the sword that David took off of Goliath when he killed him with the, you remember the sling and the stone story? He says, go help yourself to that sword. Okay. Verse 10, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands? This is the man. Let's kill him right here. We'll get rid of David. David actually hadn't become king yet. King Saul is, is the king right now, but I put that up there. I fudged a little bit. David's going to become the king soon. And this man says, we, it'd be like the, the army rangers catching Osama bin Laden. This is him. This is the main man. This is David. And so I can imagine all the people starting to surround him, and David's like, okay, I have no weapon. I've got a tough, I've got to come up with an idea. Ding! God gives him an idea. I like like I'm crazy. Because he thinks I'm strong, and if he sees me, knows I can fight back. What if I make him think I'm weak, and he has nothing to worry about? Yeah. Well, let's see what he does. David comes up with this idea. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of God. So he feigned insanity. Feign means to fake. So he pretended like he was insane or crazy in their presence. Watch this. While he was in their hands... He acted like a madman. <laughs> Runs over, takes a clock. You ever heard somebody on a chalkboard? Old chalkboard, not that white board. <laughs> on the green, like, mm, two fillings fall out of your teeth. David goes over there and just scratches on the wall. <sighs> Starts to slobber down his beard. <sighs> People are like, who is this guy? I thought this was the, the man. He's the man. He's David. Well, look what the Bible says he did. He feigned insanity. In their presence, while he was there, in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate. 
letting saliva run down his beard? <laughs> Rabid dog wouldn't act like you. The king goes, who is this nut? Why did you bring him to me? <laughs> He's nothing to worry about. He's not even worth me doing what? Killing him. Let him out the door. He's nuts. <laughs> Somebody come up behind. Hey, David. <laughs> God, slobber all over yourself. Hair messed up. Like you in the morning. <laughs> no, I just kidding. <laughs> you ever took a band trip somewhere or, or any kind of trip, get on a school bus, you know, you're back there, you're good, and then you fall asleep. Like, slobber all over you. You look up, bus stops, go to the rest. Looks like you got three guitar strings wrapped around your head. You're going into the bathroom like this. Y'all sleep? No, I'm good. Walk into a phone pole. I'm good. You know, you just, that's the way David's like, They back off him, go, let him go. David comes out the door, slams the door, and as soon as he gets outside, wipes his spit off, cleans his hair back, and goes, that was close. If they only knew, he just now fooled them. He's not crazy at all. He's very smart. That's sort of like an Army Ranger, Navy SEAL kind of stuff. He didn't have a weapon, so he fakes like he's crazy. Achish said to his servants, look at this man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of mad men that you have to bring me another one? Bring me this fellow in here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house like big on and get rid of him? So David leaves. Hmm. I'm keeping you in the Old Testament. Turn back to Joshua. We went to Kings, went to Samuel, go back to Joshua. I'm keeping you almost right here together, even though we're going to different sections. So we got one king who pretended like he was a soldier, and he wasn't. He died because he was trying to pretend, trying to really hide from God. One king who pretends like he's crazy because his life was in danger. Let's go to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Hopefully you'll learn a little bit about the Bible tonight, different kind of stories. Joshua took over for Moses. He's leading the people out of that, out. Remember Moses, yeah, led him to the promised land where he's heading out of Egypt and we're going to the promised land. Joshua takes over. Moses is dead now. He marches along. He first battle he ever fights, the battle of Jericho. They Next battle, have a little bit of trouble. Then they wipe out Ai. Next little town coming down the road is Gibeon, but Joshua doesn't really know that. He doesn't know the name, but he knows there's people there, so they show up and they're going to wipe out this town. It's just like a football schedule. First team, 40 to nothing. Second team, 60 to nothing. You're the third team. Oh, my. You just see it coming. Guess what Joshua has to encounter? David pretended like he was somebody else, so the enemy of Joshua's going to do the same thing. They've got to come up with a ruse. They said, you know what? Joshua's going to show up and kill all of us. We don't have a plan. Fingernails. I got it. Why don't we pretend like we're from a foreign country? But we're not from a foreign country. We can pretend like we are. You go get some bread, bake it, put it out in the sun, let it harden. It'll make it look like we've had it for a long time. Take your clothes, rub them on rocks, make them look like they've been worn out. Yeah. Anything else? Let's see, throw mud on our face, look like we've been traveling. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Here comes Joshua. Y'all ready? Get your good breath. This is drama. If you've ever been in a play in high school, it's showtime. The curtains have separated. You're on stage. Joshua shows up. Can you imagine? Sweat's probably just running down some of them's face. Some of them are in total control. Others are going... We're going to die. We're going to die. Shh. We're going to die. Shh. Anybody ever been on a stage at school like that? Yeah. See, sometimes I'm nervous. Sometimes I'm cool. I've walked down on stage before. I was at a chapel. 
I taught at Roanoke Valley Christian Schools for 10 years. In the junior high, your age, bless your heart, I feel for you, how would you like to sing in front of your church service on Sunday morning? Some of you probably say, I can handle that. See, you're the ones that doesn't bother. Others of you might say, I don't know if I'd want to do that. Well, this particular chapel, the junior hires were putting on a chapel. We got seniors. So I got people 11 years old singing in front of people 18 and 19. The seniors are back there. They're cool. Yeah, here comes the little seventh graders out. They're making fun of them. The little girl come out and here was the song she was supposed to sing. She come out. You can tell she was nervous. I was about going on top of her head. Bless her. I thought I feel sorry for her. She hadn't even opened her mouth. Here's the song it's supposed to go. He spoke the words and all the stars came into order. That's her first line. She come out and went, he, he spoke <laughs> right there on the stage. She got about four words out vomited right on the stage. He spoke, <laughs> you know. From, so the standard joke the rest of the day, you know, we'd be down to the lunchroom. Hey, he spoke. <laughs> They'd laugh at her. And I said, guys, don't pick on her. She was a nervous wreck in front of you. It's not easy to sing in front of people who are a lot older. And, of course, high schoolers have no mercy. You know, I think a man in a wheelchair could fall down the stairs. <laughs> you know, quit laughing at everybody. Everything's funny. Less at you. Don't laugh at me. Oh, okay, we, you can laugh at everybody. We can't laugh at you. You've got to remember that. I guarantee you there's somebody in this crowd that's nervous like that. They're sitting there with Joshua, sitting there with the Gibeonites going, oh, this is going. Joshua pulls up. The leader steps out. He's the one of like you who can sing in front of 500 and doesn't bat an eye. Hello, we are from a foreign country. His friends go. What kind of accent is that? A bad one. In the middle of it, all right, you go, all right, all right, we're from a foreign country. And, and, you know, no, that wasn't it. Got it. Uh, I am from a foreign No, that's not going to work. I've got a spitting Kobe right close to my face. And if he spit, yeah, that's it. It's going to work. All right, we're from a foreign land. And Joshua goes, what? We're from a foreign land. It's right down the road. You probably don't. It's from... And we can't... Uh, are you from a foreign land or are you lying to me? We're not lying from you. Honest, honest. We're, we're part of the group called the Newsboys. And we just know... <laughs> All right, I'm the drummer if you haven't heard of me. Right? Joshua begins to listen. That's his first mistake. Well, maybe you aren't lying to me. All right, no, here. Taste the bread that I have. See that? It's been traveling. Well, y'all do look pretty rugged. Here's my friends back here. Uh, friends back there about ready to pass out. He's the one that's scared to death. I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. He's the one his name is going to die. He keeps saying it for you. Going to die, going to die. Yeah, that's his name right there. Here's my sister-in-law's cousin's brother. He's got, anyway, we want to try to just be friends with you. Deal? Trying to make a covenant with him. Joshua goes. Joshua's soldiers behind him. I'll say we kill him. Nothing like a friendly man in the crowd. Joshua's soldier had a big old stick about his long. Can I kill him? I ain't killed nobody since yesterday. <laughs> he got a tattoo right there. Mother, right on his forehead. <laughs> Joshua, don't kill him. I have decided without inquiring of the Lord, the Bible says he did not pray and ask God's wisdom. That's his mistake. Okay. Deal. We won't kill you. Good, I can talk like normal now. What? No, he didn't do that. All right, thanks for making the deal for us. 
You won't regret this. We're just travelers like you all. We're going to get along great. Okay. Joshua turns. They lead out. Go a little further down the road and learn that those guys lied to them. Let's go back and talk to them a little bit. Here they come back. Can you imagine this group? Yeah, we pulled it off. Nobody's going to die. Uh-oh. Dust, cloud dust ball coming up the road. The guy, going to die. I told you we were going to die. I knew we were going to die. Joshua pulls up, gets off the horse and says, you lied to us. You're Gibeonites and you aren't traveling from a foreign land. You lived right down the road. Jericho's first, Ai's next, and you're, and we were going to wipe you out. But, but you gave us your word. You made a covenant. You know what Joshua says? You're right. And I'm a man of my word, so we're not going to kill you. I bet you the soldiers behind Joshua says, yeah, but that was... Oh, you mean we don't get to kill them? No, because I gave my word, and if I make a deal with somebody, I do it. I do what I say. Wow. If you miss everything else I'm saying, why don't you be like Joshua? Mow the grass. Practice the instrument. Take care of the dog. Read your Bible. Do what you say, Joshua says. I'm going to do what I say. We're not going to kill you. We are going to make you work a little bit for us. You will now be wood carriers and water carriers. and Oh, so we get to be sort of like slaves. You can either do that or I'll find something else for you to do. Oh, no. It's good. At least we'll be alive. They resorted, look in Joshua chapter 9, they resorted to a ruse, verse 4. That means a stage, a drama, a trick. They resorted to a ruse. They pretended like they were somebody else. Joshua didn't kill them though. The last one right here is a king who pretended, and I put that in italics because really he didn't pretend, a king who pretended to become a man, really a king who became a man just like us so we could one day become like him. Who in the world is that? It's this person. Yes. Would you look at Philippians, though, all the way over in the New Testament? At least you've learned a little bit more how to, unless you're, you are used to doing sword drills in your church. I don't know. Philippians all the way over in the New Testament. If you can find it, that would be wonderful. Philippians. Chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, this last man, you guessed it, it is Jesus. Let's read about this, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, really verse 5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, verse 6, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with with God something to be grasped. Now, you, you're not listening. You're probably not reading. You say, okay, explain that to me. Listen carefully. Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't have to grasp something to be like God. He was God. It would be like somebody saying, Edgar, now pull up. I really need you to work. I want you to try to be tall. I am tall. I'm 6'3". I want you to really try to have blue eyes. So far, I want you to try to get your heart to beating. Got it. Wow, you've got those three things done. I didn't have to do anything like that. Jesus, I really want you to try to be God. I am God. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as upon the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. So that verse right there says, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was God. But He made Himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, He lowered Himself. Being made in human likeness, He became a man. You realize Jesus didn't have to do that. He's God and He becomes one of us. And being found in the appearance of a man, He humbled Himself became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the throne that is above every name, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus became one of us. For the first time in his life, he's going to... Some of y'all might be a little homesick. I understand that. Some of us did that way when we're away from home. You might miss what you're used to. You're talking about being homesick. How about Jesus saying to the angels, comes up to a microphone, pretend with me. <laughs> angels, yes, sir, I'm leaving. What? I'm leaving heaven. I'll be gone for 33 years. You can't leave. God the Father, I'll speak to you often, but I won't be here as close. God the Father. Okay. And Jesus Christ becomes born of the Virgin Mary and becomes one of us. No more flying around in the sky if he wanted to. No more zipping around because he became one of us and thus he lends himself and he becomes like we are. But he became like us so that we would never be able to say, you don't know how it is. I do. You don't know what it's like to live. In a, I do. I do know what it's like to live. I do know what it's like to be you. I do know. I know what it's like to be shoes. This man Jesus becomes us. Now these are people who pretended, at least some. Look at this next one and see what they've got in common then. See if you can look at the first three. What did all of the first three examples have in common? This King Ahab, King David, and Gibeonites. Why did they do what they did? They what? They Why did they pretend to be what they weren't? To stay alive. Yeah, you're right. So, so I don't want to die. So let's see. Why did they do what they did? Well, they did what they did so they wouldn't die. Tongue twister. They wanted to avoid dying. This man called Ahab who gets shot. This man called David who pretends like he's crazy so that the king says, take him out of here. He's nuts. Or this man, Joshua, is talking to the Gibeonites right there. And the Gibeonites say, here, take, taste our bread. It's good. And that was the mistake. He listens to them. That's bad. And then he takes the bread and tastes it. And yeah, and he did not inquire of the Lord. And he got suckered in fool because he didn't pray about it first. Well, that's a lesson in itself. But then again, what's different about Jesus? He what? He did die. These guys avoid dying. Jesus comes for the purpose. Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. The only way you can do that is if I die and take your place. See, God's got to punish somebody. And Jesus says, punish me. But that, no, punish me. Jesus didn't argue, and God had to plan. I'm just getting you to think through so Jesus comes down and gets punished. The wrath of God is satisfied. 
And it even reminds me of the song we sing. So Jesus is beaten, gets crucified, pays for my sins, dies, buried, resurrected. But at the moment when he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All the sins of the world placed on him. It gets dark. God looks away from his own son. And Jesus is all alone, suspended from heaven to earth, not touching the ground, not in heaven, right there. And we could sing that song, and we won't, but you probably sing it in your church. It's not an even trade-off, is it, when he says, I'm forgiven, you're what? You're condemned. I'm accepted, you were what? You know? I'm forgiven because you were. Tell me the words. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and you rose again. Here's our trade-off. You die in my place, Jesus says, I'll do it. It's a deal. It's a con. Trust me as your Savior. I'll go get you death penalty. You can't do that. I have done that. But it's not fair, so I just won't ever accept you as Savior. No. It, it's not fair, but just call it grace. Call it what it is. Call it grace. And just go ahead and accept it. He became a man so he could die in our place for our sins. Jesus Christ, in this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin. That's Chris Tomlin's song right there. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin Sin for us. So all my sin gets placed on Jesus, thus I have no sin. So we can quit pretending. We don't have to pretend like we're... No, you need to say, God, I'm going to quit playing games, quit pretending. I'm going to quit being like I'm strong. I'm going to let you start knocking the part. Forgive me of all my sin. Take away the parts of my life that I don't need so I can be more like you. So this is the next thing to remind you of. Are you pretending to be someone else? Pretend to be a Christian and you're not. Pretend to be good when you're rotten. People don't know what I do at the house. I got news for you. God does. God knows what I read, knows what I look up on the computer, knows what I do anything. Let me tell you how you feel. Can I be transparent and tell you what I did? When I was young one time, somebody in my family, I don't know if my dad, uncles, whoever, someone hit a liquor bottle in the in a drawer. And, yeah, I didn't want a liquor bottle. I was a boy probably a little bit older than some of you guys. And I went in there in the kitchen one time, and you're looking around for a road map or something. Ooh, an old bottle. Probably been in there for a little while. And I thought, wonder what that tastes like. Now, see, I was being like Joshua. wonder what the bread tastes like, Gibeonites. wonder what that tastes like. My dad was working 11 to 7. That means he worked all night long, got off the next morning, he's in there asleep in the bedroom. And so I was in there just looking around. By the way, don't raise your hand. Please don't. I don't want to embarrass you. But I wasn't looking for that liquor bottle. You're not looking for anything. You're on the Internet. I'm going to look up a gospel song. Ooh, that's not a gospel. Woman half naked in front. Where'd that come from? That's a pop-up ad. Don't raise your hand, but I know you've seen those. I see them. I was looking up words from Michael W. Smith one night and go, wow, what was that? Satan over there enticing you. Click on this and no, no. Well, I'm trying to look up a gospel song and Satan's throwing a fiery dart at me. You do the same thing. 
Let me just, I didn't go looking for that, but there it is. I didn't go looking for the liquor bottle. But I'm thinking, well, Dad's asleep. Let's pick it up. Satan going, drink it, drink it. Satan going like this. Try it, try it. Mamas. Me and Dad were the only ones at home that day. That's another thing, dangerous thing, too. Anytime you get alone, some, you know your limitations. I'm just saying. Some of us probably just need to stay off the computer if I'm the only one in the house. Somebody needs to stay away from the liquor bottle. So I pulled it out. And I looked down the hall. Dad was standing right here. He had gotten up, walked down the hall, and was standing there. I go, go ahead, take a drink. No, I don't. No, go ahead. Well, I wasn't really. No, go ahead, take a drink. <coughs> ah, tastes like gasoline. Remember that. <laughs> you don't want to drink that stuff, do you? Let's put it back down to earth, throw it away one. He taught me right there, he says, I never had a problem with drinking. That stuff tasted like a combination of gasoline, rocket fuel, and mare sweat. I just didn't want anything to do with that. <laughs> but I've got relatives who have died being an alcoholic, so it must have bothered them. But it got caught. God's going to catch you right here. He's going to catch you in the next few moments when he's going to remind you of a few things. Please be real quiet. As Billy Graham used to say, he says, please no talking, moving around. God's working. Don't interrupt him. Are you pretending to be someone else? How about this? Next question. Would people be surprised to see the real you? Remember, I can see your pretty face, but it's like, but you don't know. I know you. I know you. You know, remember we, oh, okay. It's good to have an accountability partner. Somebody that really knows you. I mean, knows you. They love you anyway. That's what a true friend is, remember? Knows all about you and loves you anyway. How about this one? It's time to stop pretending then and to be honest with God. He knows about you anyway. Just let him start working on your life. Ask God to forgive you. Help you to be who he wants you to be right now. And you say, but that means God's got to start taking away the stuff that I don't need. Yeah. Can I show you what that looks like? Look at this. Reflective time. I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to... It's a time of reflection. I want to show you a video. I want to show you just a few minutes of a video of how God's going to work on you right now just like he works in this video. If you've seen it or if you're brand new, just watch it. I just want you to learn this lesson of what it's like when God works on you. And that's what I pray that he'll do right now. Check this out. Be real quiet. This is going to be the last thing I do.
disciplines child, a father disciplines the ones he loves. Bow your head with me, please. Dear Jesus, we needed that. We needed to be reminded of several things. First of all, that you love us, that you don't make junk. And if we feel like we're inferior, then we've bought into the lie that the world offers and Satan tries to whisper to us. And I pray, Jesus, that instead we would listen to the voice of truth. And you've told us in the Bible, I am the way, the truth. In the life. So we're going to listen to you right now. And here's what you would say. You would say this to the campers right in front of me. I love you. And I know all about you and love you anyway. And I forgive you of all your sins. And I'll chisel away those things. And I know it's tough. But if you really mean business. If you want to make a covenant with me. And a commitment to me. It takes sometimes painful things. But then when they leave. You'll be closer to me. You'll start being an example and you'll start showing works and people will no doubt just look and say, wow, God is at work in you, isn't he? So Jesus, I ask you to do a work in the lives of the campers right now. Whatever you've brought to mind that they need to confess and ask forgiveness for, you bring it to their mind right now. And there's bound to be areas that need to be chiseled away. Things that we've forgotten or things we take for granted. Things we just haven't just our love and for you is just sort of waned. It's weakened. It's like we just, well, it doesn't matter, but it does matter. We hurt you when we sin. Lord, may we be tired of hurting you and say, Jesus, I want to make a fresh commitment to not do the things I've been doing for. Some of them even become habit or break that habit. So Jesus, speak to my friends before me. Remind them that they're not junk, that you love them, that you'll forgive them. With your head bowed, I just ask you this. As we play a last song, just as sort of like an invitation, if you uh, have something that you need to pray about, I'll give you a couple options. You can come forward and kneel up here, so like an old-fashioned altar still works. And you bow and you talk to Jesus. Or you can uh, ask your counselor to come forward and say, would you pray with me? Or you can come forward and tell me something. But we got to do what we need to do. Otherwise, we're just playing a game. We're not really taking this commitment to the next level, which is what I want to pray that we'll do. So in the next few moments, please be real quiet. God is tenderly speaking to some of you. I know that. Would you just respond?